This is Marky Mark Markellis from Soul Wizard Podcast, and you are listening to the Geek World All-Stars Podcast Network. Welcome to the continued podcast adventures of Superhero Speak. But I think many of the people that love this character and that love superheroes in general have used these stories as inspiration to say, you know what, I'm going to do something good in the world. I'm going to make a difference like my hero when I was a kid. That is my fondest memory of it, because when, you, when you're doing comic books, you want them to affect people, right? You want people to care, you want, you want to strike emotions, and I knew that that clone saga was striking a lot of emotions. Can you yeah. imagine uh, Pulp Fiction starring Goofy and uh, Mickey Mouse? I can totally <laughs> imagine that. You I'm sure somebody's written that one too. with cheese and France, Mickey? <laughs> what? <laughs> Boy, ale with cheese, Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally see. I, I, would, I would watch the hell out of that movie. Yes, I gladly uh, sacrifice that my, my progeny to you of a mighty Marvel beast. <laughs> <laughs> but Neil Adams is somewhere going, hmm, it's, uh, it's my time. Uh, <laughs> How do you measure success? Hey, everyone, and welcome to Superhero Speak. I'm your host, Dave. I'm JD. And boys and girls, John is off this week. He's feeling a little under the weather, but that's okay. So we got a guest to fill in the spot for him. He's been on the show, I believe, three times previous. This is his fourth appearance. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's been on for his books, Inheritance of Devils and Men and the Binding of Three. And here's to, he's here this week to talk about his new book coming out, the Psalms of Caligula. And of it's course, a mouthful. Yes. It's the one and only James D. Schumacher. How are you, sir? Hi, I'm fantastic. So, so it's, yeah, it's been a little while since you've been on. A few Dude, it's, years, been, I think. it's been 2016. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's 2021. So, Good yeah, God. Five, five years. What the hell has happened with life? It's like I went to bed and I woke up elderly. It's like, holy shit. <laughs> That's what I tell people. Well, like, I got friends that are like younger and they're like, oh, dude, life's forever. I was like, no, you'll wake up tomorrow morning and everything's changed. And you're like, what? What happened? Right. You go to bed. Because my, my dad always told me, he's like, you'll go to bed at 18, wake up in your 50s. I'm going, what the fuck happened to my life? Where'd it go? And here we are. JD recently woke up in his 40s. I did. I didn't like it. Uh, it sucks, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> I threw, my back, I threw my back out on Sunday. This is terrible. I don't, I'm not a fan at all. <laughs> just, uh, that we reached that as from that. God, it was the kingdom of the crystal skull. The only good dialogue in that entire film was, I cannot remember the guy's name, but he said, we've reached the point in life where life starts taking things away from us instead of giving it to us. And usually it's all of our backs and all of our muscles and everything. Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's I'm, fun. I, I'm in my mid forties, trying to get into shape. <laughs> no, you'll get there. I, I'm I, I'm in. I'm 38. Good God, I'm old as shit. Oh, jeez. Oh, I'm the I'm the youngest here, aren't I? Yes. JD is what 49. 40. 40. <laughs> yeah, JD's the, JD's normally the youngest. John is normally the oldest. It's true. How old is John? 50. Yeah, I'd have, just, buried, I'd have buried John. You 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 took the high road. I said, <laughs> said sixty four. Oh my god! I my eyes deceive me. Yes, because he looks like a I don't know. I can't think of anything funny. 
because I, <laughs> I don't want to be mean to him. Oh, go ahead. We, we're it kind of looks like it kind of looks like a like a gnome almost. <laughs> God. <laughs> and you're kind of you kind of look at him and you're like you see him in like all your guys' Comic Con pictures and you're like he's adorable. He's a sweetheart. I bet you he's sweet. And then you find out he's sixty and you're like, oh God. <laughs> He's definitely sweet. Gonna, sweet old man. Dude, he's going to kill me. Yeah, he don't listen. He'll be fine. <laughs> he doesn't no, listen no. to the show. He doesn't listen to his own show. Nope. What? Why is that? We don't know. Don't know. <laughs> We've never asked him because. I'd he, ask him. Uh, I'd go, hey, what the hell? Why aren't you repping us? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know. it's, never, it's never come up. I think it's something you guys should broach in the next mm. conversation. Make so, a whole episode. <laughs> That could be a whole episode. So what have you been up to the last five years? Getting close to 300 pounds, losing a bunch of weight. I don't know. Like I described 2016 to a couple of friends of mine as like Sisyphus. I mean, are we all familiar with Sisyphus almost? Like he pushes the damn boulder up the yep. fucking hill, except I had pushed the boulder up the hill in like early 2016. I was like, woo. And I went down to celebrate with all my friends. And as I'm climbing back up that hill, a couple of people pushed the boulder back down and it smashed me square in the face and sent me tumbling back. So it's like, it's felt like it's hard to describe other than it's felt like a, that sort of situation Yeah. because I mean, we kind of know a little bit what happened with inheritance and then all the stuff that follows with that. Uh, Cause I've usually like my parents from a young age, my mother's was diagnosed really, really sick with cancer when I was 12 mm-hmm. So from a young age, we learned to just thrive in that sort of chaos slash depression. Yeah. And so I prided myself for years as being the guy that could take a hit and keep right on going. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't stop me. It's just I just smashed any brick wall you put on me. And then 2016 was that year that just hit like one freight truck after another freight truck after another freight truck. And then it culminated in mid-2017 with the unexpected death of my father. And that leveled me. Like, because I, I came out of 2009 after the loss of my mother with, like, a taste of blood. Mm-hmm. That's the joke I say. It seems cliche and corny as hell. But it's like, you, you had, I had an axe to grind. So I was like, well, I got to get this out. And so I started penning films. We started making films and then I started, I panned inheritance, which was completely based on my mother and I's relationship right. as she was dying. And that took that out to the markets and it sold out Comic-Con after Comic-Con after Comic-Con that we went to. And I thought it was insane. Like people would stay at the booth and talk to me more so than just, Hey, this is a cool comic or Hey, what sort of comic characters do you like? But they mm-hmm. would talk to me about, their experiences with cancer and how it affected their lives and how right. it affected their creativity. So it just, it, I took that harnessed that and then ran with it with inheritance. And then something about my father's death, maybe, maybe it was coupled on the fact that inheritance came off of eternal con where it sold out in one day mm-hmm. and the publisher air quotes was stoked about it and then canceled inheritance and every other book on its store because it i i I don't know they just canceled everything shut it down right i was like okay great i can go the self-publishing route or i'm going to leverage the press that we're getting and move it further and then the acquaintance that was working on the artwork quit out of nowhere i was like okay why i was like why give me a reason why Mm -hmm. and to their 
credit it was to create their own stuff. I was like, by all means, go create your own stuff. Right. So I'm left with inheritance and found a bunch of other stuff. So I was able to push all that through. And then we started with Of Devils and Men, then put a Kickstarter up for Of Devils and Men. And then I had outside funding come in. And I was like, okay, great. I'm going to back off the Kickstarter route, not go like where I have to have thousands or hundreds, thousands is stretching it, hundreds of people donating to get this book created. I can create it within my own parameters. And then that fell through. And I was like, okay, great. Okay. So then I pressed on some more. And then I had a conversation with my father, the last conversation with my father. And it's odd that the last conversations with both my parents were conversations of my parents telling me to not quit and to just keep going. Because I had talked to my dad and I was expressing like all the self-loathing, the pity party you go through whenever stuff falls falls apart in your face. Mm -hmm. Or you're like this little child and you're talking to your daddy, trying to get him to help you stand back up. And he told me, he's like, you can't help. He's like, you cannot help common people. And it's one of the things he always said. He's like, common people are the, and I'm not saying like the average person. I'm saying people that don't seek constant innovation and constant creativity. He's like, you can't help those people. He's like, you can just do your best to sequester your sequester yourself away from them and continue to create. Mm-hmm. And then I got a call and it was my older sister telling me that my father was twitching. And I was like, you should probably call 911. We got an ambulance there and Zara, my fiance and I drove there as fast as we could. And we go out, walk into his room and the doctor's late for I think he was two hours late, if I remember correctly. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting there with my sisters. Everyone's crying. And you can see it in his eyes that he knows. And I'm holding on to his hand, and he can barely talk. He's It's just one of those things that's blown and burned into your mind forever. Mm-hmm. Onto his hand, and the doctor finally showed up, told us that he probably wouldn't survive that long. And I held his hand, and he mustered out one word. And he told he told us to go. He let go of my hand, and he said, go. And I was like, no. And he wouldn't even look at me. Because my father dealt with pain as like he would shield his own children from pain. Yeah. Because of the amount of pain he went through, he would shield us. So he didn't want us there. So my sisters begged me. Zara begged me to take him back after two hours. And I was like, no, we can't. We told him we'd leave. He doesn't want us there. We can't. So they ended up beating me down. And I was like, okay, let's go back. And I'm so glad I went back. Because we went back into that ICU room, and the best way I can describe it, it was like light. Not in terms of like lighting, but as in terms of like the air in the room was thin. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there, and I swear to God, I can smell my mother's perfume, and I can feel her. I looked at my sisters, looked at my fiance, and said, say your goodbyes. He's going tonight. And they all said their goodbyes, and it was two and a half hours later that I got the call. And like that part helped a lot. But I don't know if it's yeah. just the confluence of everything hitting at once. But when his death hit, it destroyed me. It just, it was like hitting a brick wall at terminal velocity. Yeah. And I just laid on my back from 2016 to 2018 trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Like nothing I could do. would I couldn't collate and converge any of these ideas that I was having into a cohesive story. I couldn't create of Devils and Men because it was my father's project. It was about him, and I couldn't do it because it just created so much pain that I just shuddered. And it was 2019 that 
I again started getting that familiar taste of blood. And I was like, okay, there's something to this. As it starts to thin out. And I woke up one day, Zara started doing 75 hard, and which is an insane program for workouts. I couldn't do it in my fat ass shape right now. But she's doing it. She's killing it. Mm-hmm. And I just started walking. And I just started doing it. I did a block at first, then three blocks, then a mile. Then I started doing two and three, four, five, six. And this last Saturday, I walked 10 and a half. And then I just began to like realize that in order to solve what's in my head, I needed to get it all out. So I wrote right. down journals for months of all my ideas, all my like self-hatred and self-loathing. And that began to coalesce into Psalms of Caligula. And okay. I mean, it's Psalms of Caligula. I describe it as, I describe it as an anthology, even though it's all the shit from myself. <laughs> it's, it's like my life. It's all the pain. Yeah. and ugh. It sounds like, it sounds like your, my 2020 was your 2017. So yeah, yeah I'm feeling you there. Maybe I should start writing all my shit down. <laughs> Not a bad it's, idea. Well, yeah, it's to me. It was just the only thing I could fucking do. Like, it was the only thing. Like, right? Because you hear people sit. I, I hate the quote. I hate it. Oh, you get over loss. I want to punch the person in the face whoever said you get over loss because you yeah. don't. There's, there, you, as I'm working on Psalms of Caligula, and I'm working on stuff that's about my mother. I'm just weeping like a little schoolgirl, and when I pop up my dad, I'm weeping, and I just get angry, and I'm like, oh my god. Because yeah, I hate it. I hate people that say that. I hate people that dismiss loss as something that's easy. Yeah, and I don't think sometimes a lot of times the people who say that haven't experienced real loss mm-hmm. as well. That's oh. that's been my experience anyway. You know, well, I think it is like that's the thing with because I sent out to a couple like friends of mine in media like you, Matt Shub. I sent out one of the shorts from Psalms of Caligula. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, let's see if this does what I think it's doing. Because I, I can show it to my sisters and my fiance, and they're crying, but that's usually not a good barometer because right, right. they're either crying and like, because Zara's an actress and she says they're crying to fake it so I feel better about myself. Or so I just need an outside opinion on, and that's not to say she would do that. She'll probably kill me upon hearing this. But I, you need that outside barometer to a mm-hmm. certain extent to know if you're on the right track. Right. So I sent it to like you, I sent it to Matt and Matt's reaction was, this is the realest thing I've read from you. He's like, you can read inheritance and you see the metaphor and allegory in it to the, the parables that run between these two stories and how everyone's life seemed to echo. But he's like, there's something about reading about a life from start to finish and seeing the self-loathing and self-hatred that's in it. Cause that's the thing that yeah. I also think people don't like talking about now is self-destruction every single one of us are inflicting on ourselves yeah no i mean it's definitely raw and you can just you can see the emotion in it when you read it and as someone again who's going through some of that stuff yeah like i totally get it so it's like my i was talking to a buddy of mine andy and he's going at the i think it was 2018 his mother died and that's for some reason I seem to be the guy that everyone tends to talk to when they go through loss to a certain point. <laughs> you and I were talking about it online, yeah. Yeah, like, like, I, like I was talking to Andy, and I was like, a lot of a lot of everyone's lives because 
my mother always told us, she's like, you'll never be the person you were at 25, 26. You'll change throughout life. Yeah. But it's the, the ship of Theseus parable almost where it's like, if the boat's rotten away, if you start to change out things in your life, do you remain that same person? And I love right. that notion of like that. And that usually you see it with people that can't change with their own time. It's like me personally now, if I was going to create a comic book right now, it wouldn't be Inheritance because it doesn't align to my sensibilities right now. It right. doesn't align to like what my terrible quotes antennas tuned to. So yeah. I have to go by go based off of the new experiences that have been leveled and changed and altered and to create something that's outside the realm of what I would normally do. Because Psalms of Caligula is the last thing I thought I'd be working on. Like, yeah, because it's a it's an anthology of like short stories, poetry, long form poetry, and just mm -hmm. metaphors and allegories built through the entire book where you can see what you want to see at a surface level in some of these stories. But if you dig down deeper into it, you can find the coded messages and you can find the connections people have to each other. Because I'm still a firm believer that all art works best based off that. Because if you start to get into the point where we're getting to in society, where we're homogenizing art, media, and video games and novels and stuff, you're getting to the point where you're starting to disenfranchise people that want to express themselves and connect to people. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, it's starting to create, we're starting to create stories with paint or color by numbers to a certain point. Right. I mean, we've, we've talked about that on the show quite a few times about mm -hmm. where do you draw the art, the, draw the line between art and me media that's produced to entertain, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's tough, right? Right. JD. I mean, it depends on what the artist wants to do. That's my opinion. Yeah. I mean, besides killing off John and your books. I enjoy it. <laughs> I enjoy the fact that he pays me. What? You're killing people off in your books? What sort of books? Huh? Uh, I'm a fiction writer. Uh, that's ran a Kickstarter. We have a, a nice little reward here where you get to be a character. And John enjoys <laughs> John enjoys backing. So it's a, it's a running gag now between the two of us. <laughs> so how is he going to die? Or is that something we got to buy the book for? You have to buy the book for that one. Yeah, see, see, hey, see, that's how you do it. You, you tease it out. You get people to pay attention. I don't know, like the. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm assuming you guys play video games. Yes. Because I'm a nerd to the core. It drives my poor Zara insane because I have every console. I'm like, woo, look at me. Like the two things that I equate to, not you could say saving me, but giving me the permission to like create with originality again was Yoko Taro's I probably butchered his name near Automata and Hideo Kojima's Death Stranding okay. well have you guys ever played those games or am I the only nerd here that's played those I know Death Stranding I haven't played it I can't remember who, who it was I know that actually did play the game and the other one I've never heard of so but uh, well here's the thing tell me if because my little sister's the one that made me play this game she bought it for me for Christmas and it was near near Automata because yeah, okay. it literally is androids dressed as French maids, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this this is far and away nothing I want to play. She's like, trust me. I was like, okay, you, you like anime? I don't. Uh -oh. She's like, trust me. So she bought it for me, made me play it, and then I played the first round. It was like nine hours. Then I went through a second time, and I realized that this creator yoko is completely changing how people approach video games because it went from being like sexy androids 
in the first five minutes and you're doing bullet hell sequences to philosophical conversations about life and death. Okay. And about existence and how people interact with each other and what's human, what's not human, what's machine. It's very like Philip K. Dick, but it's an insane amalgamation of a bunch of like philosophers like Kant, Descartes. And it's just insane. Like it took oh, there's forty hours for me to beat the entire game and it's an insane it's probably my favorite video game of all time because there's it just has you do things that you're not expecting. And right. Like halfway through the game, you go through a text adventure that's a black screen for, I think, close to an hour. The game just shuts off the black screen, and then it's like back to old DOS. <laughs> like, what? Um, is this supposed to be like this? And Death Stranding was – maybe it's because they're both similar topics of dealing with are you alive and death and stuff. Maybe that's why it assisted me, but – I mean, there's just so much work that exists outside of mainstream like comics. Yeah, that is absolutely incredible because I dealt with on inheritance the constant drumming of no one else does that we can't do it, and I'm like we can do it we will do it if we fail then we fail and we just continue on to the next innovation. Right. It's like try- it's like trying to tell JD. Because someone else hasn't, if he's got this idea of, for a character, well, no one else has done that. It's like you tell you tell a creative person that the creative person's more inclined to go, yeah, go fuck yourself. If they're worth their weight in any sort of like sustenance and creativity, because I hate the idea that graphic novels, comics, films, video games tend to be the same thing. I mean, it's it comes from Joseph Campbell's stuff where he gives you the arc of mythology that's run all the way back right. through like Osiris and all that stuff and the ancient Egyptians. But there's not to say that we can't create stuff that's new. I mean, you'll run into like, if you create like the movie like Southland Tales, you'll get booed out of places because it's completely impenetrable to mm-hmm. the average person. Same thing with like Andre Tarkovsky's work and Stalker and the original Solaris. You're just like, I don't know what the hell I just watched. And you have to watch it again, again, again. But I prefer that type of storytelling. Because have you guys ever heard of like, I'm sure you guys have heard of Mobius. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like Mobius's work. Like I've, I'd known his work from like, like his, his film concept art. Because I've seen a lot of his storyboards and his conceptual design. And then I discovered Adina. And I was like, what's this? And I bought it. And I was like, it's just that's, I think it's not not Adina, but the world of Adina. And I was like, what's this? And I read it in one sitting, and it's like 400 pages. I was like, holy shit. This is an insane, insane comic where you're getting an actual storyteller telling you like this incredible fable. Mm-hmm. It even comes down to like, like Lind Ward. He's the guy back in the 30s that did woodcuttings. He would do the wordless novels. And I can imagine like back in the day where you had to cut wood to make an art, stick it in ink and stamp it on a piece of paper. <laughs> There's my art. Four weeks later, you got the next one. And you're like, eh. And then another four weeks, it takes you eight years to make one book. This guy made like 12. But his stuff is equally brilliant in a time that people back in that day weren't trying to do anything besides basic cursory novels. I, I just dig it. I love it. You guys check his stuff out. Just don't buy the real books because there's a bookstore here in Salt Lake. I went went to look for him. Mm-hmm. One of his books, A God's Man, is sold for $1,500. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, holy God, because they're so hard to find. They're insanely yeah. hard to find. Like, I mean, I can never pronounce his name, but he's a French comic artist called Chabotet. 
C-H-A-B-O-U-T-E. That motherfucker's brilliant. Like he did an entire five. I think it's 500 pages. Don't quote me on that. He did an entire graphic novel called Park Bench. Not one word of dialogue. And it's just of a park bench. That's it. Hmm. And you're reading this going, holy crap, holy crap. And by the time at the end, I'm crying. And Sarah's like, what's wrong? I was like, nothing. Nothing wiping tears. I was like, nothing's wrong. She's like, what are you crying? And then she read it. And she's like, it's a park bench. He put a park bench in a, in a, it's in a, it's in a closet. And I'm like, but it's the park bench from being installed to like seeing people fall in love on it. And then seeing them die or seeing the husband after the wife has died. It's the sad story. You're just like, but that's the genius of doing stuff that's outside the realm of what people are expecting and not asking for permission to create. Right. It's funny. You're telling me that's that. And it's reminding me of like the opening scene in Up. Yes. Where they tell you a love story without any words. Yeah. And, and, they they kick, and then they kick you in the dick. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, like, oh, God. Because <laughs> that's, that's probably the saddest opening I've ever seen. Yeah. To any movie, because you're like, ah, it's like almost like old Yeller, except Disney front loaded old Yeller with a dog dying at the beginning of it. Yes, <laughs> but like how they did it with Up was just stellar. It's one of those openings that you're just like, it's almost like I, I equate it to a certain point, like the end of a Field of Dreams. Yes, where Kevin Costner's dad shows up and he's like, "Want to have a catch?" No, no, man. Less, less JD because he's sitting there. He's looking very stoic. No, it's one of my favorite movies, man. I agree, hundred percent on that one. Because you're just like, oh god, you, oh, you guys got a good, you guys got a good, you guys got a good repertoire going on right now. I'm just listening. I feel like I'm listening to a podcast this week. Uh, yeah, don't make us suck you into it. We'll bring you into the debauchery. We're talking about the things that make men cry. Yes, kicks to the dick. <laughs> Pixar movies, Old Yeller, Old Yeller. Well, he's not Field so much. Dreams. Field of Dreams, video games. Depending on the right video games, that's another. There's another game called Oxenfree. Equally brilliant. You walk around as teenagers. It's like playing a John Hughes movie, except you're little cartoon characters. Brilliant okay. shit. That's another oh. one that makes you cry because you're like, oh, I suck. And then you start to revel in like the horror, and then you're like, oh. See, see, I guess I'm getting too old. I'm, I'm, I stick to like you know the Star Wars and the the Spider-Man games. Say, well, I like, I, I don't know. I, it's a couple of guys that I've worked with that are like, dude, we love superhero movies, and I am burnt out on Marvel, like absolutely burnt out. Like after Endgame, which was brilliant, and you're crying, and he's like, you want to get cheeseburgers? I'm like, ah, oh, damn it, you're crying. You're like, I'm not crying, you're crying. I loved it. Absolutely brilliant movie. But then I tried to like watch the next trailer for the next one. I can't remember what it was. And it's like, oh, cool. It's more of the same. Next. <laughs> then I was kind of, I had lost hope on like comics. And then I, I know you hated it, but I loved Zack Snyder's Justice League cut. Like loved it because yeah. it's like, I hated the original. Like, yeah. Because Josh Whedon, from what I understand, everyone's reporting him as he, he's a prick apparently. Right. But you watch this stuff and it's totally incoherent. Where you're just like, I mean, that Justice League Zack Snyder's cut doesn't make up for the Martha. Why'd you say that name? Save Martha. <laughs> like, who calls their mom by their first name? I right. still hate that. That's one of the dumbest, th- dumbest lines in any comic book movie ever made. And you're like, really? You, you edit, you, you could have said, save my mother. Instead, you're right. like, 
It would it would have been infinitely more palatable if he said "Save my mother" and he steps off her off and goes, "What's her name?" Martha. Gotcha. <laughs> it would have been more palatable than Martha. Save Martha. I mean, it's yeah. Like in Star Wars, I love Star Wars. Like I'm a nerd again. Poor Zara hates me for it because I'm like, let's watch Star Wars, and she's like, I don't give a shit. I was like, okay, cool. I hated the Last Jedi. Hated it. That guy needs to be thrown off a metaphorical cliff and never allowed to make another Star Wars movie again because he's an idiot. Right. Because you're like, you exceeded expectations. And then poor JJ had to come in and bulldoze a whole movie of shit over trying to fix it for the climax. And you read all these like stories about how it was supposed to happen. And you're like, that would have been infinitely better. But I don't know. I like Star Wars yeah. was good. And now it's become sad the, the thing oh, i'm the, old <laughs> the thing with the justice league was we were expecting to hate the snyder cut mm-hmm. and we didn't hate it I don't, we wouldn't say it was the best movie we ever saw but it was definitely better than the whedon one yeah well we were entertained we were surprised yeah. how entertained we were it wasn't perfect but it was entertaining yeah i i, I don't know why like i because you watched josh whedon's then like, you watch this one i mean yeah like the best part the whole damn movie was the ending and I hated Jared Leto's Joker. Hated it. Because yes. he's like, like all these news stories. He sent dead mice. He's like, well, I'd punch you in the face for being a moron. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm in that character. And then you see like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker and you go, hey, Ledger, or not Ledger. Jeez, he's another good Joker. You look at Leto's and go, that's what you should have done, moron. Instead, you're a tattoo my face. Oh, green hair and I'll be, I'll just cackle and... But Justice League did it so that it was a little bit more palatable. And I was like, all right, cool. And then I'm just sad because they're not going to make more. Right. And I'm like, great, great. Well, and speaking of Whedon, J.D., you sent me an article. I did. Today that uh, Gal Gadot confirmed that he threatened her career while they were making Justice League. Mm, he's, a, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> what a pile of shit. But then yeah. that's, what people, that's what people do. Like when you're given – I'm a, I'm a firm believer of the quote of money and power doesn't change people. It just exacerbates who they actually are. Yeah, yeah that's true. Because I hate that notion of, oh, I got a million dollars. It's like, I got if I got a million dollars, I'm not going to go out and like, start beating people or Harvey Weinsteining people. It just exacerbates the insane, the insanity of unchecked power. And yeah. I mean, you look at like, because I saw something about that. I just didn't get the chance to read it because I read all the stuff for the actor that played cyborg and now yeah. they they ignored him for months and he's like hello you have a real big problem with whedon here because whedon's the guy that started the avengers i not started the avengers but he got that ball rolling so right they considered him like almost christ-like so they go like, oh you got to take care of him you got to make sure he's good and then it just it, i don't know it's just i, I can't believe like what, what would he stand to benefit from that he's just a piece of shit yeah. Just a little bit of power, a little bit of stroking of egos. God damn, people. I hate I people. also think, in all honesty, and not, I'm not, this is not a defense, but in all honesty, looking back on it, I don't think he really wanted to do the Justice League. Like, I kind of felt like it was a paycheck, it was a job, like it wasn't a passion of his. So he probably oh, yeah. was more so an asshole on that set than, you know. Well, he seems like, yeah, I agree. Because there's like two types of creatives. Ones that can create on spec. That is to say, like, 
I go to JD and go, I want a zombie film like this and he can write it out and perfect. Or you have writers and creators that have to be emotionally invested in the project. Mm-hmm. It has to come from something. He seems like that type of guy. Uh, again, not right. a defense of his stupidity, but you look at Justice League and it goes, this is a guy that's, like you said, doing it for a paycheck and not doing it for anything else. Yeah. Because if he cared, like he reshot a sizable chunk of that movie for no other reason other than to get it's like if you're going to reshoot it make it better like right you're spending 40 50 million dollars to reshoot because of Zack Snyder's horrible tragedy and thank god for the people that fought for like the release of the justice cut or the justice cut the Zack Snyder cut and like you said it's it's not the best superhero movie but it completely band-aids over the original mm-hmm. right right cuz you're like okay I don't have to watch this other pile of shit. It's gone now. I can focus on this. Right. It's like, let's let's go ahead and do this. Yeah, I mean, I think if he had just gone in, finished Zach's movie, mm-hmm. and then just released that, I think it would have been fine. So, Because well, I read like I read stories on, like, because what was Christopher Nolan and his wife produced the Justice League, and they urged Zack Snyder not to watch the the Whedon cut, sorry. Mm-hmm. They said don't watch it. So he has he hasn't even watched it. In interviews, he's like, I haven't seen it. Or maybe it's a good thing. <laughs> if you see the yeah. bastardization of the project, I mean, maybe that's what I like so much about like Zack Snyder's cut is it feels like a guy telling a story of something. Right, exactly. it means something to him. It deals with people getting to like. I mean, that I will say the strangest part of that whole movie was the Flash's hot dog scene. Yes. That yes. was like, what? what? Where did this come from? Why are we playing with hot dogs? It's like it's like watching that movie Love on Netflix. Don't watch it. It's ass. It's garbage. It's I I watched it in France at the festival they can. I regret it. It's unless you really want to watch it, watch it. But it's by an idiot French director called Gaspar Noé. So you can tell by his name that he's pretentious already. <laughs> <laughs> you watch this movie, it's equally pretentious. <laughs> like, and the best thing is, later that day, we it got washed out by uh, Mad Max Fury Road. I was like, whoa, I don't got to think of love anymore. Thank God, because it was booed. Like, I think we were the last like 30 people in a theater for a thousand. Oh, it, wow. clear, it cleared out, but it's insane. I don't know. Like, I just maybe I'm burned out on comic movies, or maybe they just haven't. Like I saw the Carnage, the new Carnage trailer looks pretty, pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, JD. What did you think? I, uh, it, it kind of felt like they were making Eddie Brock the comic relief to play off this really sinister Carnage that you really didn't. I didn't get that a great impression of Carnage from the, the trailer. It, it was tough. Like it, I don't know what the tone of the movie is. I didn't care for the particular cut of this. I'm not going to make my judgment based on a trailer. Right, right. And it goes back to what I thought about Venom all. Like, I like villain Venom. I'm not a fan of anti-hero Venom. They're probably going to go on that route with this one. But, you know, we'll see it. We'll talk about it. I didn't love the trailer, though, my first in, first impressions. Oh, I feel so I feel so alone now. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are like, eh, it's all right. I'm like, it looks interesting. I guess I that's like the error, one of the errors that where I was heavily collecting comics. So like the whole Venom storyline from Secret Wars, the black costume all the way to Eddie Brock getting the symbiote. It's like that story works, 
but it hasn't worked on film yet, you know? Yeah. And then they're just kind of like to, to try to do Venom without Spider-Man just yeah. doesn't work for me. I agree. That's true. Because well, it's, they're all they're equal part and parcel. Mm-hmm. Almost. It's like trying to separate Jedi from the Sith. Right. I, I don't know. Like S- Spider-Man movies have been wildly hit and miss. Like I, 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 for the love of me, cannot seem to get into, I cannot remember his name. Oh, what is his name? Talking about the Tom um, Holland. Tom Holland. Oh. I can't get into him. I'm just like, <sighs> huh? I don't know why. Maybe it's because I like I love the Tobey Maguire because it was like B-rate Spider-Man. <laughs> like this is I love right, this kind right. of stuff. <laughs> but then then he got to like that Andrew Garfield Spider-Man where you're like, please, <laughs> no more, no more, please stop. When you're putting like cheesy ass music while he's figuring out what's happening to here and it's just i don't know maybe like oh what's his name what's the anime spider-man that just came out spider-verse yeah spider-verse that's awesome that was great that's like how spider-man should be that's like come on work that like get us back towards that because like that's what i love about the spider-man games because they're just like at least his last two are insanely good Yes, I mean, I mean, definitely. Spoiler, when Annie Mae dies. When I say Annie Mae, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible. Aunt May? Uh, there we go. <laughs> uh, I'm tired. But when she dies in the game, again, it's a moment where you're like, oh, I'm not supposed to feel. <laughs> you're making me feel. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is an interesting moment because it's like, it, it's, it is sad and it's just like, you know, I don't know. It, it's the it's because it, in the comics it's always been like they've they've done everything to keep her alive until like, she's just dead now, right? JD, I think so. Yeah, yeah. You know, which makes one more day totally stupid. Then, uh, <laughs> you know, but it was just like yeah, it was just weird. It's like oh, Aunt May died, you know. But you also don't spend a lot of time with her in the that version of Aunt May in the game. You know, she helps out at the 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 home or the the center yeah you know and like so you're you, you go see her a couple times and then all of a sudden so that, that's one of those things i wonder when i play a game like that and then they kill off aunt may and it's like if you're not a long time spider-man reader or a fan of the cartoons and all that and you're just playing this game because you like spider-man from the movies and they kill like do you have the same emotional impact you know i, I how they did it like it gave you just enough but i think the yeah. vast majority of us that felt the emotions is because we have that long track record of games, movies, and comics. Yeah. And so it hits you a little bit harder than it would most average people. Like that's what makes me super excited for the new Ghostbusters. It's because we know they're addressing Egon's death in a very logical sort of way. And yeah. I I I am ecstatic for that movie. Like after the abomination of 2016 Ghostbusters, where they were literally handed a layup and they decided to shit on it, I'm like, what did you do? Like, you could have had all these women playing the daughters of the Ghostbusters. Yeah. Kept it in canon. Instead, you turned it into a running SNL gig. And it was just 90 minutes of just, okay, please stop. Please stop. This new trailer looks infinitely better because you're yeah. – it's grounded you're back with kids i mean it's very stranger things 
I mean, you can't look at kids becoming Ghostbusters and go, especially with the tone of the trailer and go, let's tell them, this looks like Stranger Things because Stranger Things is another insane story. Yeah, I didn't think of um, it that way. Because that's, that's what I got out of it. But it still is like, Stranger Things is my favorite streaming show and Ghostbusters is my favorite movie. This is like the best like child from both of these. This is great. And then they released the... The new trailer for the mini puffs, like there's a little miniature Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Yeah. I'm, t- I'm cackling. I'm cackling like a like a witch. I'm just like, I'm like holy shit, this is insanely funny. I just, I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe Ghostbusters comes from my childhood because yeah. I was the only kid, and I blamed my parents for this. My idiot father let me wear my proton pack back in the '80s to church <laughs> with my foam and my trap, running around screaming, "Make it hard." not knowing what the fuck they're actually talking about I'm, I asked my dad I was like you're a horrible human being he's like you didn't know what you were saying I was like you let your kid what <laughs> why would you let me do that he's like it's funny so I look back at that now I think it's funny this little six year old kid <laughs> make it hard oh. so I love <laughs> so I love him so wow we, we got off track a little bit I'm kind of curious Psalms of Caligula. What is the? You're still working on it, right? Like, what's yeah. the? What is the? What is your plan with the book once you get it finished? So, you, and and here's a here's an interesting question too. Since it is like you, it's all your stuff, and you're spilling it out on page. Could it ever be finished? That's a very ephesius question. It's the both. Is it ever going to be finished? The answer is no. Yes. Like, because Zero's even asked was like, was when I posed the question to her one morning, I was like, hey, would you mind if I did this book? And self-financed every bit of it. Not have to go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Not have to go Kickstarter routes or anything. I mean, people can do Kickstarters. I just, for some reason, I don't know. She's like, no, not at all. So she asked me what it's about. And I was like, well, at that, at that time, I was like, it's like I threw up on a page. It was the best way I could describe it to her at that time. And right. she's like, she's looking at me like, what the fuck? I was like, it's not like that. It's just like a bunch of like short stories and ideas but it like the idea is it'll be twofold one is it's going to be a paperback and hardcover two editions and then two it's going to be an interactive digital ebook because hmm. okay. i'm trying i've been talking to a couple of printers a couple of friends of mine that i met through the comic-con circuits as well as film circuits and i was like i want to do some something that's completely different because we all see ebooks and like Anthony Zyker, the guy that created CSI, he did an ebook back in 2012, and I cannot remember what it was called, but it was interactive, but it was mm-hmm. way ahead of its time. Like right. it required you to click words and it would link to hyperlinks and you'd watch little videos and all this stuff. I don't want to do that. I don't want to have a book where you click my name and it pops up with my ugly face going, Welcome to my book. I hope you like it. <laughs> hyperlinks you back down onto your Kindle and you're like, Oh, what the hell? I want to do stuff like, it is taking poetry, mm-hmm. short stories, anthology work into a different direction. So that required me to create stories that would completely flow differently throughout the book. Do you know, hey, J.D., do you know of a guy named Mark Z. Danieluski? I, I don't oh. actually. It sounds a little familiar, but I'm not putting in, I'm not connecting it. He's the brilliant guy. Like he did House of Leaves. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That motherfucking dude is insane i've read house of leaves like eight times and it's the hardest book to read because you're holding up this book 
and you're twisting the book around to follow the character spiraling down on the page mm -hmm. and their psyche disappearing and the fonts change left and right. And like, I read that stuff way back when that was one of the bases for inheritance to go, he did it. Mm -hmm. Why can't we find a different way of telling a graphic novel, doing something that's completely outside the scope and realm of what's, ex what's the establishment ex calls acceptable. So I wanted to do that with Psalms of Caligula and the idea is that you get novels that are all words, and I want to blend the two genres of graphic novel and novel and just start to kind of cohesively piece them together in a way that works, that's almost symbiotic, that doesn't feel like, oh, it's, well, here's a graphic novel panel, and you're like, what the hell? It's in the random page. You're like, oh, there's images. The fuck is this and you're trying because we've seen right. stuff done like that similarly before like mm -hmm. i've seen some indie graphic novels on my on my like tour of comic cons where they're doing like eight pages and then it's like four pages uh -oh. just we lose jd yeah keep going oh no jd you got bored um <laughs> <laughs> let me keep going yeah 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 keep going no I wanted to do just this idea and this notion of creating something that required thought. And I didn't want to do just straight words and straight fonts. So I was like, well, let's go ahead and create a comic, not a comic, a novel that was, that had images. And it goes back to like Lind Ward and all these like books. I remember as a child, like I remember reading like old school brothers Grimm and every mm -hmm. single like chapter came with an image like a small little image as your chapter heading. Right, right. And I was like, I want to do stuff like that, but it's the whole page. It's a chapter heading. And then it breaks down into subsections, and then it continues to go further and further. <laughs> hey, what'd you do, Jetty? Wi these country Wi-Fi, man, we live out in the sticks now, and you never know when the Wi-Fi is going to just poop out on you. Welcome back. We, lo we loved you. We were just musing about how we missed you. I appreciate it. We're like, man, I wonder what JD's doing right now. Kicking my computer. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying where you've seen that before mm -hmm. and not done well ever. You know, it's yeah. a couple images here and there. It's not, the images aren't needed to enhance the story. Yeah. Well, I, like, because if you guys, I really wish more people, like Steven Spielberg said he wishes more filmmakers, new filmmakers beyond him. Mm -hmm. Like Capra, Ford, all those guys. He's like, no one knows these people. He's like, they just know me. It stops with me. He's like, you need to go back further beyond me so you can see where this comes from. And Lind Ward is a key factor and a key inspiration to a lot of the structure of Psalms of Caligula. Because it's this insane notion that you can do a story completely in images without words. But then I wanted to do stories and allegories and metaphors for my life that have images but have compelling dialogue that goes along with it. That's not just a giant graphic novel put on a novel on an actual like novel page because that like i that's the one thing i hated about comic books was when people would cheap out on the paper and they would go for newsprint and this day and age like I, mm -hmm. I get it i get it back in the 60s when my dad had them i get it and it's like a nostalgia thing but nowadays when we have insane printing that you could do stuff that's insanely cool unless it's for an aesthetic purposes like i would just uh, do something that's completely forward thinking like inheritance was printed on the heaviest paper and the highest gloss paper we could find mm -hmm. because i preferred it would give a richness in the black texture psalms of caligula deals with self-destruction self-mutilation 
all the stuff that comes from like years of abuse as a child that I went through and takes it and puts it on a page. So it doesn't need to be glacial, pretty. I mean, the artwork's got to be pretty, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't need to be printed on a high gloss paper. It needs to be printed on traditional novel paper. The cover is going to be like that satin, that satin smooth. Cause I hate when I feel like, like flat books, the covers are rough. You know what I mean? It just feels, Mm -hmm. I, I hate holding it, but I'm like, I have specific design choices for everything that we're doing with, inher- with inheritance. Jeez. <laughs> everything with Psalms of Caligula. Right. I don't know. I don't know. It, do you have uh, it, do you have artists lined up to work yep. with? Or oh, okay. I have, the cover was done by Juliette Fogra. Mm-hmm. I'm probably butchering her name. Do you guys know who Jordan Peterson is? Yes. Okay, so she did the artwork on his new book, Twelve More Rules for Life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit. Because I love Jordan Peterson, Jocko Willink, David Goggins were some of the guys I listened to when I first started working out. I was like, great, cool. And I love the metaphor of what uh, Peterson would say, which is if you want to change the damn world, clean your fucking room. Take care of your own self first before you try to go out and dictate to people what they should do with their lives. So I saw her art and I was like, I wonder. So I Googled her, she popped up on Instagram, and I was like, oh, sweet. Mm-hmm. So I started combing through her Instagram, and I was like, there is no way, no way she's going to want to do a cover. No way. I was like, so my little fat finger started typing on the keyboard, and I sent an email out to her, and it was like, must have been like three hours later. Blunk. Yeah, I do. I, I will. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, uh, okay. And she's like, well, explain it to me. So I began to explain to her. She's like, the first thing she asked me, because She's like, what the hell does Psalms of Caligula mean? She's like, is everyone, she's like, we all have our predispositions as to who Caligula was. Right, right. Usually it stops with the debaucherous asshole that fucked a bunch of senators' wives because he wanted to and destroyed people's lives and killed people because he was this tyrant. Mm -hmm. But it's everyone's understanding stops there. They don't go back into his childhood where he was abused, beaten. He watched his brothers be killed by his by an emperor, only to have that same emperor adopt him and force right. him to become like his heir. So no, no one seems to understand that portion, and that's to me is a problem we have with like the understanding. I mean, even goes like an understanding of hor- the horrors of what Hitler did. Everyone stops at Hitler going, I'm going to kill Jewish people. No one goes back into his past and goes, this is a guy that was abused, beaten, horribly mistreated, suffered the inhumanity of man, and he became this fucking sadistic piece of shit that deserves whatever hell. Like Little Nicky, that movie where they're shoving pineapples up his ass. I hope that's happening right now. But it's this understanding of like that Caligula, even though he was debaucherous and hellish, he comes from abuse and destruction that was inflicted on him and when i told her that i was like that's what this notion is i'm not saying that i'm caligula but i'm saying that as a direct result of all the stuff that's happened to me in my life this is what has come from it right and i've been a fan i've been a fan i've been been fascinated with the praetorian guards and how they took out caligula and all this stuff it's just it's been endlessly fascinating because caligula like like we go back to was this horrible guy but and when she took that, she's was like, okay, give me give me a couple of days. And it was a day later. She sent me the first proof. And I was like, what? Holy shit. It was fast. I was like, I'm not used to working with fine art. Like, right. you work with a fine artist, an artist that works in the fine art field, they move fast. And because 
she asked for sample images and I sent her out a bunch of like Googled images that are like low res. And I was like, this is kind of what I'm thinking. And I sent her like, uh, like a Caligula bust and some burning stuff. And I was like, go with that, what you will. And she comes back with the first image and I was like, whoo. And she's like, she sat there and was like, do you agree with this? Is this jiving for what you want? I was like, I think it needs a little bit more. And she's like, good. So do I. So she came back a week later with the 90% proof. And I was like, good, it gets better and better. And I'm not used to that. Right. Like I wasn't uh, like on inheritance and like on the films I was doing, I had to push people to do stuff that was outside the realm of their, their self, like their self programming or whatever you want to call it. But her, she thinks clear outside the box and she's like, okay, let's do something cool. And I was like, all right. And then the final image came in and I was like, good God. And that's the cover we have now where it's just this insane notion that out of destruction and death and horrors in life. Did he lose? Did he go away again? Yeah. Yeah. His, his Wi-Fi. but out of death and destruction usually comes creation. Yeah. It can either destroy people and turn them into horrible monsters like Caligula, like Hitler, like Mao, like all these horrifying people in history. Or it can turn you into people like David Goggins, Jocko Willink, yeah. Steven Spielberg. Someone it, creative, yeah. Yeah, it, I, I dig that idea. I love the notion that like, you can't want a life that is easy. But you shouldn't want a life that is replete with failure and pain and agony left and right. Because after a while, you're just like, no more. Just give me a break. Go go fuck with someone else. Like, leave me alone. Yep, yep, yep. In there. Yeah, you know, to a certain, well, you know, to a heavier extent than I do. That's a horror that's, I don't know. I, 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 I don't wish it on anybody. Hey, speaking of anybody. It's going to be one of those nights. Keep going, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Good God. Way to go, J.D. Yeah. No, but go ahead. No, no, you're right. I mean, and it's just, it's one of those things. I mean, not I've talked about on the show plenty of times, but it's, yeah, it's like you don't know how this feels until you go through it. And then, like you were saying, too, like people who haven't been through a loss like this, they just, they don't get it. Or, oh, you get over it. Like, no, you don't. You don't ever get over that. And it's also something where I kind of feel like when you're middle-aged and you go through it or, or young, like you're not prepared for it. You know, like, like, like I, like my mom went through it when my dad passed away and it was hard on her, but like they were older and it was an understanding. That's how life works. You know, when it happens to you and you're suddenly in your forties and it just suddenly happens, it's like, no, this isn't how it's supposed to work. And this is, you know, it makes you angry and, and all that fun stuff. So, oh yeah, it's like because it's it's hard. Like you get asked, like I got asked, like I remember the day of, and I'm still I feel so bad for it. But I'm Zara, my sisters, and I were leaving the ICU the day my dad died, mm-hmm. and we're getting in an elevator, and Zara is doing everything she can to keep me from falling apart. Right, and I'm like, she's trying, she's trying to talk to me, and I'm just like, shut the fuck up, because I couldn't like figure out my my brain was just doing this i was like oh my god i'm now an orphan that was the first thing that spun through my head like a whirlwind and it just never stopped i was like i'm an orphan now oh my god oh my god oh my god and then i stopped and i was like it's not you it's not you and that's the thing that like maybe it's the self-destruction because my father self-destructed his whole life and he taught all of his children that 
self-destruction is more important than becoming self-reliant, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And like I, I and Zara's because Zara's gone through this whole thing with me, and she came. I met her like within the year after my mother passed away. So I had kind of come out of that dark patch. And then this is the first time she saw me go through this dark patch. And to her credit, she's like stood there with me through 2017, 2018, desperately trying to push me, desperately trying to get me to get up and go yeah. and live. And I was like, I don't, I don't want her. And I was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And you just wake up that one day where you just go, okay, I got to stop. I got to like, it's not that you get over it. It's that you get to the point where you're like, I got to use this to, instead of burning myself down, I got to use it to burn down the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, let's go burn this down. Let's go take this out. And like, that's the thing with inheritance that got people to connect to it even more. Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. It's all right. Was that inheritance at its base core was a story of a mother and son. Right. And the son watching the mother die. And people would read into it and almost extrapolate out themselves. And like that's the main reason superhero movies are insanely popular. It's because everyone wants to be that guy. Yep. Everyone wants to be that girl. Everyone wants to have the world look up to them to save them. It's a it's a fantasy. It's a, it's escapism through and through. Yeah, yeah. And that's why video games are so popular, especially in a time like this, is because people want to escape. People don't like facing the world that it's currently at. Psalms of Caligula is my ability, is my way to go, I got to face this. I got to fix this. I got to like destroy every single bit of this. It's like a, it's almost like an exorcism. I described yeah. it. <clears throat> I described it like, because I wrote down a note when I was walking. I was on my phone. I was just writing. I was doing my little six mile walk. And I said, I, I and this is now the back cover. <laughs> Psalms Psalms of Caligula is an anthology that should be approached cautiously as one would a confessional booth in a church in some low-rent part of town (laughs) where no sane person would dwell nor find suitable refuge. Quite simply, it's an exorcism of the trauma, tragedy, and self-destruction that pervades my waking life. (laughs) It was just this idea that popped out of my head. Right, right. And that's what I love about walking is it clears, like, you know this, you've dropped an insane amount of weight, you're even past me. It's just, it does something to you. Like, because Zara would ask me, she's like, why do you walk so much? And to me, I was like, every step I was taking was away from the fat invalid that sat behind me. Right. The guy that couldn't think, couldn't stand up. I was like, I got to go that direction, no matter the cost, as fast as I can. So I took as many steps and my feet hurt for months. And I blew through six pairs of shoes in mm-hmm. one summer. Because you go from being... A fat guy wearing shoes, and then the fat just obliterate because you're running. Like I would run at like close to 300 pounds, and it would just eat my shoes alive. That I'm terrible with my feet, but it's this. I don't know. That's why like I. That's why there's I have problems with the fitness industry where people are like, oh, you should be accepting. It's like I get the accepting, but like if I had accepted myself <clears throat> at where I was, I'd be dead probably within like 20 years because my father ate himself to a grave. I. I- yeah no and exactly and that's that's my thing and it's yes i don't accept people and don't judge people that are heavy because everyone's in a situation mm-hmm. for whatever reason that got them there but don't sit there and say it's okay as well right because oh, yeah. there's too many health issues with being overweight that like 
you know, I mean, that's that's the road I was on. I was going to be probably dead in five years if I didn't start losing the weight. So, oh yeah, like I watched my father; his heaviest was six hundred and fifty pounds. Ooh. Wow! And when he died, he was losing as much weight. It was because he couldn't. Uh, he would eat like shit up until the day he died, but his body was dying. So it just began mm-hmm. to like, cause what, what ended up taking him was like, he got a sepsis, his, his kidneys got an infection. They went septic and then sepsis uh-huh. spread. And it yeah. just in one like week destroyed him. But his big thing was, he said his biggest regrets in life was that he got his children addicted to sugar because that is the worst fucking thing that only America puts sugar in fucking meat. We're the only damn country that's like, you know what? Could go into meat, sugar. It's like, who's the idiot that said that? Punch yeah. him in the face. Because I, I yeah, like, we put sugar in everything. Like just watching him die. That's why I tell people it's like, oh, it's like I wanted to be there. Like when he was when he actually crossed over and died. So I need to be there. And I just fought with my in my head because my dad didn't want his children to have that image because I have the image in my head burned there of my mother's body. Mm-hmm. Like when we found her and it was just a nightmare. And it occasionally I have dreams of that day and I have dreams of my dad's day. Like the, I had a dream that preceded the weight loss about my father, but it's, he knew the cost of watching him die would inflict on his children. So he chose to go, no, get away from me. Right. He chose to die alone because his whole life was spent seeking the love and acceptance from people that wouldn't give him the time of day because he married under their class to them. Right. And he's like, no, this is my wife. These are my children. I'm going to go do this. But then in that, because he was this, he was a living dichotomy. Like he loved his children. He loved my mother intensely, mm-hmm. but he would sell us out to like other people that would treat us like shit because he wanted their love and acceptance. Okay. And I couldn't understand it. And as an, as I got older and my mom explained stuff to me before she passed that happened to him as a child, I understood it. And I was like, Ooh. And I, then when he passed, I looked at it as like a horrifying event, but then I looked at it as like, get to a point, like I got to a point quickly with my mother's death and it, but my father's death. It took me to 2020 to reach it was to a certain extent, and it's a horrible thing to say, is I'm glad he's not around because his body was so bad. Like, he was in agony all the time. Yeah. And if he had lasted another five years, I shudder to think what other agony he would be in. But, like, <clears throat> that's why, like, Psalms of Caligula comes out of, like, almost like a warning to people to, like, read through this book, these short stories that are all metaphors and allegories to things from my life. And go, right. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. This is the outcome of following that behavior. I mean, it's not a, it, it is in no way, shape, or form a self help book because I hate self help books where it's like, you can do it. It's like that secret crap that came out in like 2005 where everyone's like, hey, if you sit in a chair and you think real hard, the Maserati will appear in your driveway. No, well, you, you could, you like, Zara's huge on like changing your mindset and, keeping vibes up, which is insanely good. And it's a very good practice because it keeps you focused on, okay, this, I got to keep my mind from wallowing in misery. 
and keep it on. Okay, I got to go in this direction because Psalms of Caligula is the most, not to the readers, but to me is the most depressing thing I've ever written because I'm ripping open everything from my childhood, everything about my mother's death, everything about my father's death, and I'm putting it on page. Like, Like the sections on my parents' death has taken me over a month to write each. Because it's, I write a page and I'm like, I, I you know, like Zara's like, it's told me a couple of times she can't wait for me to get done because it's like a roller coaster I'm going through. It's like, oh, this is fucking great. And then I write the next one and I'm down in the pits of despair and then I'm climbing back up. But every hill is a finished portion of this book. Right. And it's something else that I can no longer carry on my back. And I would love, like, the idea is to get inheritance. Like, I would love to do. And I'm hoping to God they stop locking the country down. Just lift, like, let us go back to Comic-Cons. Because JD, I'm assuming, has been to Comic-Cons and sold books there. There is nothing better than meeting people face-to-face. Than yeah. seeing the interactions you have with people. And talking to people. And getting like... Because I had a guy that I met at SatCon come to a con in Reno. Mm-hmm. To get the Binding of Three. I was like, oh, cool, dude. He's like, I really love this. This is great. And I was like, that's an insane sort of interaction that has been kind of going away. Yeah. It's like the the spiritual thing of going to a movie theater with a bunch of people you don't know is going away as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just I want that back. And maybe we don't know if it will come back fully. Like, Hopefully. It should. Yeah. And there is something about shared experiences that we just – aren't having right now and you know i mean it's like when we watched the snyder cut we used an app where we could all watch it online together be on a on a screen like this we could all talk to each other while we're watching the movie and like have a shared reaction you know and it 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 works and it was fun it's not the same though as actually being in a theater with like you said a bunch of strangers sharing an experience oh yeah because you're, it's like you're getting the charged energy of it. It's like going to a, a music concert. Like yep. I've been to Nine Inch Nails live, and it's just like holy shit. You're sitting there waiting, and you're like, okay, this is gonna be cool. And then it starts up, and you're like, holy shit. And then you're lost, and then you're in this mass of people that's just bouncing, and you're not thinking anymore. You're just part of this event that's occurring. Right. And it's it's this insane sort of notion. And you get something similar with movies, but you get it also with Comic Cons, where you got, I mean, it's to a lesser extent. You're not with thousands, you're with thousands of people, but there's not thousands of people around your books. Right. But you get that notion of talking to people and interacting with people. And then, like, like SatCon, we got like Fox News paid attention to inheritance because we had people come to the come to the booth, go, hey, what's this right. about? And because that's the pitch, everyone everyone has their elevator pitch. And our right. elevator pitch to inheritance was a it's a family struggling to cope with a sidious inheritance an inheritance curse. I can't remember it exactly. And that would that would get people to like come in, but then you would I'd follow it up with it's based on my mother my mother's death. And people would go what? And the, it would hit with adults more because adults mainly. I mean, unless you're one of those poor children that ha- that suffers loss at a young age, yeah. it's usually parents. And it's just, I love it. I love it. I hope it doesn't go away. And I would love to take Psalms of Caligula out because even my short film I did way back when called Into That Good Night was used, I'm assuming it's still in the hospices, 
we had it put into like four hospices because it was dealing with coming to terms with death, coming to terms right. with your own mortality. Like, yeah, I mean, it, uh, it, it, it's funny because you you said so many things that it just have made my mind um, go crazy. I don't, it's something that I haven't actually shared on the podcast before, but you had talked about being there, you know, and like. The day, the last day that I saw my wife, like she was in a medically induced coma, you know, it was sepsis basically, but like she was quote unquote getting better. They were going to get her off their ventilator. It was the last day I saw her. I go home and then of course, 2.30 in the morning, my phone rings and she'd gone into cardiac arrest. And it was like, you had talked about like, so I wasn't there, you know, she was gone by the time I got to the hospital. And then like that that image gets burned into your head forever. Like you just, it just doesn't go away no matter, no matter how hard you try, like, and it's tough, you know? And it's like, what's the last image you want of a loved one, you know? And then of course there's always the, the, them in the coffin as well at the funeral, but you know, it's, and then now building what you were just saying about people in hospice, like my mother-in-law passed away four months after my, my wife and she was in hospice for a while. And it's like, you know, I don't know what's harder in all honesty is watching lose someone suddenly or watch someone deteriorate like that. I, I had this thing where I, I naively said, and I can't remember who I said it to. I naively said that after my mother's death, my father's death would be easy because I knew it would be coming. Yeah. And even though I knew it was coming, it detonated with an explosion that tore the very fabric of my life apart mm-hmm. because Everything that I was before Psalms of Caligula was to prove my parents right, was to prove to my parents that their children would be successful, that I would create stories for my dad to escape because the depression from my mother's death was so bad. Like he was on, I think at his heaviest like dosages, he was on six, five milligram Valiums a day because he couldn't do it. He he just couldn't like. I remember these these horrible these horrible days of talk. Like like a conversation I remember with my mom was a month before she passed. I was laying next to her in bed, and she was calling. She was hallucinating or or talking to her father in front of her. But I took it as she was calling me her father, right? And right. Angry with the fact that she left him when she was twenty seven. All right, and I'm sitting there with her holding on to her. I'm rubbing her head. I'm like, it's all right, mom. And then a month later, she dies. And I'm 27. And I'm yeah. like, oh, God. And I just remember these conversations with my father. And like he's because my little sister is the one who found my mother. And my dad runs in there. And my dad's way of saying, I love you to me, to my sisters, is a, hey, I love you, sweeties. To me, he's like, hey, fuck face. <laughs> I was like, thanks, dad. I love you too. Right. It was right. just, it was our way of talking. Yeah. And I just remember like the morning she died, I get the call from him. And it was at 6.15 in the morning. And it was, hey, baby. And I knew. Yeah. I was like, oh, I know. So then we watched him slowly deteriorate. So, like, I I think they're both equally the same. To watch someone slowly deteriorate and then to have the shock of it coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Because with a slow deterioration, you can naively, naively believe you can plan for it and know it's coming and be prepared and like yeah. I did. Because I, based off my experience, I like, I think to watch someone deteriorate is a million times worse because 
it's taken me to 2020 and now we're into 2021 with this book's finally coming into into completion and it's just i don't know it's just because i remember when we started talking because i went quiet with the, like instagram and facebook and all these weird social medias i was like okay i need to get away from this yeah because it was it wasn't serving anything and it really still isn't but to torment me because it was, you'd see like, and that's the thing they've they've shown in studies that Instagram and Facebook depresses people. Yeah, yeah. Because people do not put up their struggles; they put up just the positives. So you see on Instagram just page after page after page of people winning, and you're not, and you're like, "What's the I suck?" And so when I got rid of that, I was like, "Oh, I feel so much great, greater." It alleviated everything. It started to like remove. A lot of the stress, and plus, I would get messages about my father. People would go, "Hey, I heard about your dad. I'm sorry," and I'm like, mm-hmm. <sighs> "I'm like, I don't need to hear this." Right? Like, like, I messaged you after I heard about your wife, and I was like, "Yeah, okay, I'm just gonna do it." It's like, please, and I never heard anything, and I was like, but I knew exactly what was going going on. I was like, okay, yeah. I, I reached out because the vast majority of people don't understand like you get people that are like ah it's like death is this it's easy i'm like okay you're an idiot wait till it happens to you well just wait it's like it's interesting and how like reactions to like i was a hardcore atheist before my mother died because i watched her suffer cancer her entire life Mm -hmm. and then she died and it started chipping away at that little foundation of stupidity and then my dad died and it was like a Mack truck went whack. It's like, Hey, welcome back. And I was like, Oh, cause one of my favorite quotes was, was about the Holocaust. And it was, okay. it was um, about faith. And the question was, or the quote was something similar. I can't remember exactly who said it or the full quote, but it was people asking where God was during the Holocaust. And the answer was, where was man? Right. And that's the answer to a, like, I think it's a, poignant philosophical quote because everyone tends to blame like i could blame my relationship with my father that was strained up until my mom's death on god and i willfully 100 percent did yeah i was like it's any it's everyone else's fault but mine mm-hmm. and psalms of caligula is just a way of going this is my shit this is my problem what i did how this happened how this occurred it's, that's why I, I joke that it's like a low rent confessional booth. <laughs> you, right. You put in five cents and a nickel to get in. <laughs> I always notice too, you know, and and it's you 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 know you you get a lot of different views on religion and spirituality and God. And I've noticed in my life, you'll have a lot of people who only use God to blame when something goes wrong. You know, oh God's upset with God's man, but. Those same people don't say thank God when something good goes on in their life. Oh, oh yeah. You know? Like my, my dad said something a while back where I was blaming God for my mother's death. And he's like, So you believe in God now? And I was like, I looked at him. It was like, I think it was like the day before Thanksgiving. I think it was something like that. I can't remember exactly mm-hmm. the date. And I was like, What do you mean by that? He's like, So you believe in God? I was like, And I didn't understand it. And he never answered it. He never finished his quote. He was just like, Whatever. And then after his death, I realized, I was like, I was sitting there in my self-wallowing pity going, where were, like, I was like, I do. Yeah. Because in order to blame God, you have to assume that he exists. 
Right. And I was like, oh, hey, great, cool. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> That's for God and JD, who are part and parcel of the same thing, probably. <laughs> uh, uh, wait, he locked up again. Ah, I won't give up on him. He's, don't give up. That's, like, that's the thing. Like, to me, like, I don't know. Like, I've worked with some amazing Christian filmmakers, mm-hmm. like Troy Ruff, who's an amazing guy. And he sat there with the years that he knew me, like, bashing God and didn't once condemn me to hell. He's like, yeah, you'll find one. You'll yeah. find it one day. And then I was like, okay, whatever. And then after my dad died, I got Christ tattooed on my hand. And I was like, and I remember it just, came to me i was like well let's go let's go tattooed my wife's like what i was like i'm gonna go to just trust me and i did it and i was like oh like and then it just it began floodgates like i wrote in one of those stories in the in psalms of caligula that you read was maybe it's my dad's plan because you could think of like my mom's death as equally as it detonated in my life as my father's my mom always said that in hindsight things will make sense the worst things in life will always make sense. Yeah. And her death tore me from this notion of I need to create stories for the masses to create stories for myself. Mm-hmm. And then my dad's death obliterated me, like redirected me back towards faith, but also said, stop creating for us. Start creating for yourself and for the higher power. Yeah. Because ultimately that's what I was doing. I was like, well, I got to like, I got to create this. It's got to be this. It's got to be this. It's got to be lined up with these four quadrants to try to get out there, try to get as wide of an audience as I can. And I just realized it was like niche audiences is where this book is going. Psalms of Caligula. If I get, if I get the New York Times bestseller list, I'll be the happiest mother in the world. I'll be happy as a clam. JD and I can take the top two places on the New York Times bestsellers. It'd be awesome. <laughs> but like, um, if it doesn't happen, then I know I've got it all off my chest. And that's the, the plus side about this is is I used to say writing is my therapy, interwoven between the words, punctuations on the page are the very things that have brought me to my knees. Mm-hmm. This is what this is. So if it doesn't make money and like 500 people see it, I got it off my chest and I'm now free to create the next project absent the baggage. Because too often – people carry it they right. carry their crap they can't let oh, it yeah. go it oh, becomes part yeah. of them it's like oh, I, if i'm not my mother's death if i'm not my father's death who am i and that's a scary proposition to accept that you're now no longer the person you self-identified as like you're, you're evolving endlessly and oh man you're right you just you did it to me again because i spent a good portion of my life going, I'm a husband and a father, you know, I'm a family man. And then you lose your wife. There's your identity. Like who, like, who am I? And I, so yeah, exactly. So go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) It's, I don't know. It's like, and that's, that's, it's something. (laughs) I've said this a lot in this podcast. It's it's not my catchphrase. (laughs) It's like, it's, it's hard to describe. To people that, mm-hmm. and I hate the term of like, oh, you're like, you're coming into a new person. I, I hate these weird philosophical things. It's like my dad, my dad always said, he's like, either shit or get off the pot. Yeah. And he, he's like, don't just sit there and hang out, just get it done, figure it all out. And my mom always said, to find who you are and to know who you are and to trust who you are. And 
She says, regardless of what people will say, people, what people will do, just don't care. Yeah. And as after these deaths, this is like Psalms of Caligula is me coming to terms with finding who getting into and like doing the live dissection of myself and going, this needs to go away. This is me. This is me. This isn't. This is programming from family members years on back. That needs to go away. These self-destructive tendencies need to go away. This needs to stay. Because I had always told people, one of my things, and it drove people nuts. It was usually weak and meager people that hated the quote was, I would walk over everyone's cold corpses towards success. And I was to say, it was an announcement of going, don't get in my way. Even if you die in the process of me getting to my goal, right? That's the the extent of where I'll go to. Because that's the thing you get people that hit, especially nowadays, where everyone hits a little bit of resistance, and we stop. And I'm not talking like death or like mutilation or tragedy or being paralyzed or getting MS. I'm talking like people go, someone gave me a hurtful word, and it stops everyone. It's like, when did we become the bitches of the world and actually it, it's funny because that's that goes to a philosophy that we've kind of it, it's funny we haven't done an interview in a while and i'm loving this but yeah one of the philosophies we've kind of adopted on the show and it's become a question i probably asked you this question before about you know we usually sign off the show with saying don't let your cape get caught in the door which philosophically actually means don't let your shortcoming get in your way of your goals you know and it's so funny because like you're hitting the nail on the head too with that. Like, yeah, there are people where it's like, oh, you said a you said a bad word to me, and I now I can't write anymore. But you're taking things that would stop people, like losing a loved one, and 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 then and, and you're taking those things and now turning it on its head and making that a success. Mm-hmm. Is that is that, is like, that fair fair assessment? That's a very fair assessment. Almost said, I can't even speak right now. Fair <laughs> assessment. Oh, I was trying to sit there and say assessment for some reason. I was like, what? That's a very fair assessment. Because it's what I did with inheritance was mm-hmm. taking tragedy and going, this is something new. This is something people can lock onto and go, if this guy created this, mm-hmm. I can do something with it. Right. If I can take Psalms of Caligula and the pain of the abuse on me as a child and being told by family members that I was at the age of 11, that I would be a fat, useless loser like my father. that would never amount to anything. Right. And taking that programming and finally going, fuck it. If that gives even one person out there when they read this book, the ability to stand up and go, I have to live, I have to do this, then I've done my job. I don't care. Like the success on Psalms of Caligula is locked into if one person gets it. So as long as one person gets it, I'm happy because then it's, it's because people like you and me, while the the term dime a dozen is kind of shitty to say, Mm -hmm. it is true. There's a, like people at our age range start to lose people. Yeah. And it just gets – it's horrifying and it's one of these sort of situations where no one should go through it. Not even the worst people in the world should go through it. We've gone through. But it, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate that. I hate when you're in the middle of talking you're like, oh. Dime a dozen get losing people. I can't remember. Oh. Uh, give me a second and it will come back in. I'll be in the middle of another sentence. 
Like, and like, oh, uh, hey, I'll go back five minutes. And they go, the thing I was saying, well, there's just, there's people that, that takes an immense amount of strength to shoulder the burden of pain. Yeah. And to not just shed it and let it drag behind you as like ball and chain. Cause that's what happens to a vast majority of people is the weight's too heavy to carry on their shoulders. So they drop it and they drag it and you carry it and it's heavy at first. And then the next day you're building muscle and then you're building more muscle and mm-hmm. it gets easier and easier and yep. easier. And then it's no longer a weight on your shoulders. It's like built into you. And it becomes that thing that shields you almost. It's like that. I saw that picture of that like guy holding up a shield or life doesn't do stuff to you, how you adapt to it. And that makes perfect sense. Um, Right. But I'm a firm believer. You have to allow it to alter you at the same point. Like for years, I sat there and going, fuck you, God. I don't believe what your plan is. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And then. Like I knew on everything I was right with inheritance when it would write itself. Yeah. I knew that's when it was right. I was like, okay, great. If I'm having to force it, I know it's the universe, God, like stay puff marshmallow man. Doing anything to stop you from doing it is to go, hey, this is not the right course of action. Mm-hmm. Go back. And that's the same thing that's happening with Psalms. Was I knew it was gonna go right when it just started pouring out of my head. And I was like, okay, cool. And then when it made my my sisters cry, and I was like, "Shit, I'm sorry." Right. My little my little sister is a writer as well. She's like, "Good God," because you read the same thing she read, and she's like, "She's like," because she lived it. Yeah, she's lived everything, and she's just like, "Oh my God!" She's like, I, "She said she wept through the whole thing," and like my mother's story is equally as bad, if not worse, for me because. It's been 10 years and I've kind of like plastered over that portion of my life with a, like, I put some spackle on like, woo, it's done. I'm, I'm over it. This book's made me realize I'm not over it. Yeah. <laughs> there ain't no way I'm going to be over it. And it's just ripping it wide open. But he, he, I don't know. Like I, I set up my, my father's funeral when I gave his eulogy. I was crying through the whole thing. Yeah. But the eulogy I said was the greatest gift in the world ever given to man is not the sun is not light is not fire is not the wife the mother the son the father the brother the sister it's the gift of mortality and is to say that god's greatest gift to us is to sit there and say you have a small amount of time you're given Mm -hmm. you have these people for as long as i deem you have them love every second with them care for them every single second because when they are gone, you will see the gift of who they were and what they meant to you. And with that gift of mortality, you'll build the next step of your life. And then you'll find the next person. And that person will build up off of you. And it's this domino effect. Because yeah. you know as well as I know, you're going through it much worse than I am. I, I, that's the, as soon as I heard about that, I went downstairs and I hugged and gave Zara a kiss. Because it's like, yeah. holy shit. Because again, it just drove the message home of, you don't know. Like, this could be the last conversation I have tonight. I could die tonight. And most people don't, everyone, because you're young and you think, oh, I've got my whole life ahead of me. I've got time. You don't have time. No. You don't. That's why I tell everyone that I talk to. This this guy I've worked with, his name's Weston. I was like, you don't have the time. You're 22 years old. You will wake up tomorrow and be my age. And you will wonder where the hell your life went going. Yeah. 
it's it's you know it's funny because we talked about you we were talking about social media and all that stuff and and then we were talking about time and there's a i i've gotten it's funny like i used to post complaining about stuff on social media or i would you know put political stuff i can complain about politics or whatever it would just lead to arguments and whatnot and the past couple months i started well first thing i started doing was posting selfies from the gym but like with it was tracking i would check into to the gym and it was like tracking my my progress kind of like that's in my mind that's why i was doing it but i always put something there like you know it's monday let's let's do this blah blah, blah. and then the other thing i started doing is posting I find inspirational quotes and memes on, on the internet and I just post one or two a day. And I was doing it because I'm a firm believer and I know, I, I don't know how, how you feel about this stuff, but I'm a firm believer in what you put out is what you get back. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm tired of all the BS on social media. So I started doing it and you know how many people have like come to me, like people I've known forever. And some people I kind of know and will message me and be like, I really appreciate what you're doing. You know, like, like I see what you're doing. I see you, I see what you're doing and I really appreciate it. And like, I don't know if I was like, I don't know if that's what I was looking for. And again, it's not about getting that, but just like you said, if you could reach five people or 500 people at your book, or even one person gets inspired by your book, then, then it's worth it. So just getting a few people saying like, I really appreciate the positivity that you're putting out there. It makes me feel better when I see it. It's worth it, you know? And it's just, it's just building on, on what you were saying. Like you've got, there, there is a lot of, you don't know how much time you have. So Mm. don't, we can't sit there and dwell on that either. So if if like we want change and we want to do something, we want to make something positive. We've got to do that ourselves and make it happen. Oh yeah. Like one of my favorite quotes that my mother ever showed me was by Lawrence, T.E. Lawrence. Um, they, I, just pull up, I just pulled it up. I'll read it. It's easier to read it other than trying to remember it. All men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake in the day to find that it, is, that it was vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for they may act on their dreams with open eyes to make them possible. Mm-hmm. And that's what you've done, is instead of hiding away from it, you posted pictures. You're like, hey, this is like an accountability sort of thing. And right. you're also giving hope to people because right now people are, are – we are all constantly bombarded with hell. Oh, yeah. It's just asinine amounts of crap of like, oh, we're all horrible people. We're so divided as a country that it's staggering. It's just like everyone stop. Let's stop. Let's go smoke some weed. Let's go drink some beers. Let's all realize we're all morons. We're all like Joe Rogan said. He's like, if you ever feel overwhelmed, just remember we're all a bunch of like like monkeys flying on an organic spaceship hurtling through the galaxy. Yes. <laughs> just realize that. And that's that's the main reason I stayed away from like Facebook and Instagram. I, I can't stand Instagram because it is just people like fitness. Because I like my brother-in-law, Joey, he's like in shape. We've talked like last night, we were talking about workouts and stuff and he does all these fitness posts. But then if I look at one of his fitness posts, I'm then filtered into a bunch of other people. Yes. I don't know who the hell they are. 
And then I'm being hit with just buff dudes like flexing, like, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's like, and it's like, oh, look at my supplements. It's like, dude, I, you didn't get that physique from supplements. You're not the size of a human panzer tank <laughs> with just a pill. <laughs> You're getting shot up with straight shit. Don't lie. And then you get, then you get like the, fi- the fitness models, the females that are all like, oh, here's my ass. And you're like, okay, okay. And then you, then you get onto like, you see some like writers and comic book creators, their, their posters, people, the comments aren't there. Yeah. And you're seeing people commenting on, but then again, that's, that's human nature. Humans are drawn towards beautiful people. Like I'm ugly right. as hell. I'm surprised I got someone as beautiful as Sarah. I'm just this ugly bloke from upstate New York. That's like, Hey, look at me. I'm, I'm ugly. But, but that's the difference between like books like JD's podcasts, like your guys's is, is, and books like mine, that it's the human connection. It's what people have always wanted. It's why movies, novels, graphic novels now we're moving into the next genres of like video games it's why they're so popular is because it connects to people it shows you that you're not alone it shows you that you're not a mistake that you're not this person that needs to just wallow in misery and kill yourself because like after my father's death it's not the proudest thing in my life but there was that moment where i was like what's the point yeah give me one good reason why what's the point this giant fat guy that can't create can't think straight and like why shouldn't i why shouldn't i not just give up and find the easy way out and then he gets the next day and it just begins to slowly erode you even further and like my father who slowly because my sister and i have talked about it was that he slowly killed himself over the years from my Mm -hmm. mother's death onwards he stopped caring and he just ate himself into a grave and i was doing the same exact thing and I just was like, okay, I got to stop. I, I just wake up that one day. And it was, the, I remember some of the stuff that made me go, okay, I'm going into the bad direction was when 3X shirts were now tight. Yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck. I'm going to have to start going to the, the big and tall store. And I was like, and I'm not that I'm not that tall. So I was getting, I don't know, you, like, you look at pictures of me because I'm sitting at 204 right now. You look at pictures of me back when I was close to 300 and going, holy, I looked at Sarah. I was like, why'd you stay with me? I was like, what happened here? Because she's like this fitness model. I was like, holy crap. But she she said she, when we first met, it was through a film I had written about my mother's death. And she's like, she had gotten scripts from people, but it was mine that pulled her because she could sense in the dialogue that it was about something real. Because I, I like, like we said earlier, there are writers that can do spec, and there's writers that can't. I'll never be able to do spec. You yeah. could not. If you gave me a hundred million dollars right now to write you like the next superhero movie, I could not do it. I would have to go. Unless you want a really dumb superhero movie, like, like a low rent version of Hancock, <laughs> like, like really terrible, like coming out of nowhere, like, like the new Toxic Avenger. That I'm your man. <laughs> Stuff that doesn't make any sense. Like, but if you want something like quality, go somewhere else. Because even my producing partner for film, Cody Sparshu, we've talked about how film in particular is a strong you have to strike a balance between, like you said earlier, creativity and business. Yeah. 
And it's a hard thing to balance, especially now with the changing of like our movie theater here just completely shut down. Yep. It's going out of business. So it's switching over to like the theater system is going to slowly start going away is my bet. Pretty, pretty fast. Mm-hmm. I say slowly, but I mean pretty fast because people are now scared of COVID and now businesses are shutting down and now the whole structure of releasing stuff is changing. It's, it's kind of what it's, What's happening to film now is kind of what started to happen like years ago when you start getting like comics and the Kindle started to become pre- prevalent. Right. We're starting to go, oh, wait a second. I get a tablet, download my book to my tablet and carry it with me on something that's thin. And I love that. Don't get me wrong. I love that. But there's nothing, and I'm sure JD will say something similar. There's nothing like having a physical copy of a book. It's just something about the smell, the the feel of it, unless he's one of those high and mighty people that are like, fuck physical stuff, it's stupid. He's so quiet over there. I'm a I'm a big digital guy. Like it for, yeah, huge yeah, no, I'm, I'm, comics and and in books. I'm a I'm a physical. I'm the physical oh. one. Yeah, we're the opposite <laughs> of that. So I, I like both. I like the happy medium. Like video game wise, I'm all digital. I'm like the the ability to just sit at my house after work on I don't want to go to the GameStop and get a game that's like 20 miles away and then I got to drive. And I was like, if I just click buy, it starts downloading. <laughs> I'm good to go. Right. It's the same sort of thing. Like I can't, for the life of me, stand reading comic books on a Kindle or an iPad. I can't. I, I sit there and I'm like, eh, this yeah. is, I could play Angry Birds. But like, I just, I can't do it. I was like, you get like... I love the idea of like a comic book or like a graphic novel or like Psalms of Caligula creating an experience with that book right? based off of how you turn the book and like shift the book and how you hold the book. It's just something about like the tactile ability to have something that I can write on or eventually burn. Cause as I've seen some <laughs> of those books where people are like, like let's say you write down what's your problem and mm-hmm. then you burn the book. As like a sort of self-flagellation or self-conflagration. Yeah. Um, like that's kind of cool. But something about physical books, like who was the who's the actress that played in Game of Thrones? I know there's a lot. <laughs> I don't which, which know. character? You mean Khaleesi? She's, or? She was in the Terminator movie. Yeah. Khaleesi was the character. I can't think of Amelia uh, Clark. Yeah. She's, okay. She said something of an interview where her father said, never trust a guy that's television is bigger than his bookshelf. <laughs> so sorry to say this, JD, if you ever try to hit on Amelia Clark, you're going to have to pull out your Kindle or your iPad and go, here, look at this. <laughs> Start coming through your digital collection. That's all right. Come on. So, so, so we're, we're getting close to two hours. How many people do you think we depressed with a this lot. conversation? I'm sorry. You're depressed. You know, but, I think the theme definitely is, and it's something we kind of gotten away with because we have gotten away from because we haven't really done a lot of interviews lately. It's all about the creative process. And definitely the theme of this conversation is that, you know, a lot of creativity comes from sadness or depression or, you know, the dark side of things that, you know, to create from that because, you know. Because you can go one of two ways. You can take that energy and create, or you can dig a hole and be done. Oh, yeah. The, to quote the ever-popular war doctor, great men are forged in fire. It's the privilege of the lesser man to light the flame. I yes. love that quote. That's, But I agree. That's wholeheartedly the theme 
of is taking the worst in life and building out of it, not letting it control you. Yes. So it's been two hours. It's well, almost it's, it's yeah. It does not feel like two hours. <laughs> it's almost 10 30. We started at eight 30. So yeah. Holy God. I forgot you. And then with JD coasters. jumping in and out so much, you know, I'm kept us entertained. The state of my Wi-Fi is what's depressed me tonight. I, I have no idea. I have no idea what happened in this episode. So I'm glad you guys. You're going to have to listen to it later. Yeah. <laughs> you and John just have the force him to listen to it with you. So, so before we wrap it up, is there anything like because so we talked about we didn't really we talked about the book where it came from and and your inspirations and and whatnot. But do you have a plan on when you're going to get it finished and get it out? Yep. Or okay. Yep. So currently, right now. So the dry erase board to my left that has every single story in it that's being X'd out as we go, because there's multiple stories are finished. Multiple mm-hmm. stories are in the process of being finished. The ones that are being finished are currently with editors right now. Okay. They're working to format everything. The ones that require artwork, artists are currently working on that artwork. Okay, good. So it's it's just laying the tracks in front of the out-of-control train, because the goal yeah. with the... The goal is like 2021 is around okay. October, 2021 so to give it the full like ability to like get it. So it's finished up, send it through an editor. Cause then I have to, I have to send it to formatters for digital ebook like Kindles mm-hmm. and I have to have it formatted for physical print. Right. So I've got all these, all these goals, these deadlines that are hitting and then like the next month, every, every one of the stories are going to be locked in. Okay. So it's, Getting them locked in, getting them through editors, getting them through the second pass, getting like we have the cover done, but she's currently Juliet's currently working on the spine and the back cover, oh, okay. continuing that onto the back, and just 2021 is the best thing I could say is October because, like, my parents both loved Christmas, and yeah. I can't think of a better thing to do than to release something as exceedingly depressing for Christmas for people's trees. There you go, here's something that makes Christmas happy. <laughs> look at the cover and you're like, this don't look happy. You lied to me, grandma. So like, yeah, you'll be fine. No, it's currently like, it's in the, like, I would say close to 70% there. Okay. And I just, like, we got the cover done because most people get the book finished before they nail the cover. Like, right, right. That's usually how it always goes. I don't know if JD thinks the same way, at least to me. We did the book, then we did the cover because the book identifies the cover to us towards the end. So with Psalms of Caligula, it was just like, I did it. And then halfway through, I knew the cover. I was like, let's pull this trigger. and Let's get the cover done. And here we are with this insanely beautiful cover. Because so far, Psalms of Caligula, the cover of this book is the best cover I've seen for any of my work. Yeah. It hands down blows all of the inheritance covers. You have Devils and Men covers. All the posters for the films clear out of the water. Because... I've taken it everywhere with me to like the comic stores here in Salt Lake. And I've shown the guys that I know there. And I was like, what do you think of this? And the reaction to every single, every single one of them has been like, holy shit, this is fucking great. So currently it's taking, like, I'm also doing stickers cause I love stickers. You just randomly walk up to some random building, and go whack, <laughs> just stick it on the building. <laughs> I did that at comic cons. I did it at like Barnes and Nobles. Like I would take, I walk in and go to the the graphic novel section and slot in an inheritance <laughs> to it just to be like the little anarchist inside of the largest book chain. <laughs> like, 
Because you could be the guy that spray paints the outside of the king's house, but the true anarchist and the true like revolutionary is spray painting the walls of the tyrant's house and there with him working. So 2021, October 2021 is the planned release. Okay. Barring nothing goes wrong or right. delays don't happen. Because currently right now we're trying to figure out the cost of paper, which is slowly starting to creep upwards. So now uh, we got to take into account for that, for budgeting this out. But it's going to be insane. It's going to be fun. So, so October 2021, I don't know how you feel about conventions, about going back to conventions, but apparently they're planning to have New York Comic Con. And that's in October. I'll go. 100%. If I don't have to wear a damn mask, I will go because <laughs> I'm so sick of the mask. I'm like, yeah, I think we all like, are. I've tried. I've, I've been because here in Utah, they've lifted it, thankfully. But some stores you walk in, they're like, ah, please put your mask on. I'm like, <laughs> like, and I ordered a make Orwell fiction again mask and it never showed up. I said, it's just like, I would love to do Comic Cons. Like, that's the next plan is to see how this rollout of reopening continues. Yeah. Because if we can get to the point where they open up everything, then awesome. Because then I will hit the Comic-Con circuit with this book hard. Go all the way back to SatCon, work every single Comic-Con I went to. It just depends on like what's what's going to happen because they canceled SatCon for 2020. Yeah. They canceled Eternal Con. They canceled a bunch of cons. It's just like you're watching everyone go dark for a year. And it's like, I sure hope to God there's a plan to reopen. Yeah. Like, well, they... For, when they canceled San Diego, I was like, okay, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the fear because yeah. that's the best part about doing books is getting out there, like the long drives, sleeping in seedy motels. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's close and it's cheapest or sleeping in your car, which I did many a nights. I was like, well, or, I'll sleep in. Or you, you get do- that 10 people in a room. <laughs> that's I did that, but People stop sleeping in the room with me because we would get drunk. <laughs> it would just be me doing backflips on the beds, and they're like, please stop. It's yeah. like, ah, it's just fun stuff. So it's just currently now is just finalizing it and then getting it printed, getting it converted over to digital f- formats, which are going to be, it's not too, especially the digital formatting, so like, it's not too expensive. So I was like, ah, it's like you anticipate the conversion to like Kindle is mm-hmm. expensive. It's really not. It's not something you want to try to do on yourself by YouTubing. Unless, unless JD's smart. I don't know if you've had that problem. Like I've looked at like how to convert. And I'm like, I'm retarded. No, <laughs> I can't think. There's companies you can use. their software. Vellum's a really good software for formatting. I use draft to digital to format my stuff. So yeah, I've tried. I a company. Like I've done like, that's the one thing I liked about like uh, final draft. Cause they do like, they're like the industry standard for screenplays. But for novels, I haven't really found a, a formatting like software that legitimately works. So I have to hire people. <laughs> Please convert. Please fix this. Correct that. Because I had the one lady was reading one of the stories because I write real fast, and I was like, "Just so you know, there's going to be a lot of red check marks on this. Like, there's going to be a lot." And she wrote back, "You're not kidding." <laughs> I was like, "I told you," because that's. To me, you're right. It's a stream of consciousness if it works. And you're just desperately trying to punch the words onto the page as fast as it's coming out of your head. Yeah. Because I don't know if you do the same thing, JD. I'll be writing and then I get a sentence that's really cool. So I'll write that real quick and then I'll bounce back to that and try to keep it going. And I'm just like, 
the best analogy I have is laying the tracks down of a, in front of an out-of-control train, if you're doing it right. If you're not doing it right, then you're building the tracks while the train's back in the station, not even ready to go. But if you're doing it right, you're struggling to keep up with it at every yeah. single step. It's like, yeah. it's great. Cool. I think that's... Two hours. A, that might be a good place to put a pin on it. Oh, that was awesome. JD, do you have anything you want to add? Oh, it was a great interview, man. I mean, like I said, I, I can't wait to go back and listen to it. <laughs> cool. Poor JD. We'll just, we can do a Kickstarter for some new Wi-Fi for oh, you. Oh, I, I, know, <laughs> I, I know you said you, you haven't been doing social media, but is there a way people can find you online right now if they want to currently the website your stuff? Currently, Schumacher 3 is coming back up in the next week because I'm going to start running stuff through there again. But currently, you can find me on Instagram at the glorious shoe. I should probably change that because it's my gamer tag, but it's just how it's been. But that's the glorious shoe on Instagram. That's usually where I'm at. I avoid Facebook because that's a travesty in its own right. And yes, I'm keenly aware that Facebook owns Instagram. So before anyone tells me that again, <laughs> yeah, I just post on, on you. Yeah. <laughs> but Schumacher 3 will be up. That's my last name, and then the number three dot com will be up in probably the next week, two weeks, give or take, because I'm doing stuff through stores through that as well. Because I don't like the Amazon. Do you, Jenny? Do you release through Amazon? I do, but I don't love it. I'm a wide author. I have. An, I'm on all platforms. Yeah. Amazon is the num- is my number one though. Yeah, I don't like Amazon too much. <laughs> I don't know anyone that does. It's just like, oh god, this is terrible. All right. You- well. <laughs> <laughs> sorry no no i was gonna say so at the end but it's fine because i i think by next time next year we're gonna have a party celebrating both you and jd being on the uh the top new york, 10, times, bestseller. new york, new york times bestsellers yeah it's gotta okay. be our goal one or two i'll take it <laughs> yeah all right well for all those who stuck with us through this whole fun trip <laughs> thank you <laughs> we appreciate it don't forget check out superheroespeak.com where you'll find the podcast every week links to social media at the top of the page and as always thanks james for joining us thank you guys appreciate it and uh thanks for hanging out don't let your cape caught in the door have a good week <laughs> <laughs>